Welcome back to the Geeks at the Gates. Um, this is a 100% two-hander uh, between me and Hat because we literally couldn't get anyone else in the room. This was recorded the same night we recorded last week's podcast. Jack had just left uh, because he has a life. So in this, we discuss the Netflix series Happy based on the Grant Morrison graphic novel. I don't think we sounded the spoiler horn actually in the recording, so we'll do that now. And then we will get into it. After a brief word from our sponsors, this edition of the Geeks at the Gates is brought to you by Destination Venus, tucked away under the stairs at Harrogate's Everyman Cinema. At Destination Venus, we stock all kinds of comics, because we love all kinds of comics. So, whatever you're into, a Marvel zombie, a DC diva, an image imagineer, a small press stalwart, an aftershock anarchist, whatever you want, we've either got it, or we'll get it, if it's out there to be got. Because, although we love superheroes... There is a lot more to life and comics than spandex, and we like to think we've got something for everybody. So, check us out online, www.destinationvenus.co.uk. The website's kind of a bit ganky at the moment, we'll get in there. Uh, Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash destinationvenus, or at dvcomicshop on Twitter. Destination Venus, love comics. This edition of the Geeks of the Gates is also brought to you by the Everyman Cinema Harrogate. The finest cinema Harrogate has to offer. Spoilers! Spoilers! So happy. Happy. Happy is a series on Netflix based on a graphic novel. And you can tell me who it's by because I don't know. Grant Morrison. There we go. Grant Grant Morrison was part of the showrunning team. He did the adaptation. Yeah. Uh, Because... It feels comic-y. I have to say, watching it, it feels... It feels like it was the angles, everything. It feels comic-y, and I like that yeah. about an adaptation. I like it when it feels like I'm I, watching something I could read. I read and loved the comic when it first came out, which would have been the early 2000s. I remember buying it from Destination Venus <laughs> back when it first opened. So it would have been 2005, 2006. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked it up, dear listener, so if I'm wrong, sue me. Actually, no, don't, because I'll lose. Can't afford to lie. Don't, don't sue me about anything. But I really didn't think it was... It, it, when when I read that sci-fi were adapting it, I really didn't think it was going to work. Yeah, I I think there's a lot to unpack with it. Well, in terms of like the as a spoiler horn, please uh, play. Well, spoiler horn. Spoilers. Spoilers. Okay, so because it's it's about a man who doesn't know he has a kid until the kid gets kidnapped, and the kid's imaginary friend who is a small blue unicorn. Flying, flying unicorn. unicorn who calls himself a horse, a horse, a horse, of course, and uh, appears to him after he's had a heart attack and he's basically in the back of an ambulance dying, having murdered a bunch of people because he's an assassin. Essentially, this is the opening. This is the opening like five seconds of the film, of the show. Actually, the opening five seconds is him looking at himself in the mirror, blowing his brains out, <laughs> and then doing a disco number. Yeah, with blood spatter coming out the top of his head. Yes. Yeah, that's true, actually. I forgot Which about that. Which is one hell of a way to start. Isn't it? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so then he goes and murders these guys, which is his job. And um, I'm very, very much sympathizing. Uh, but, yeah, the, the horse appears. And then all hell breaks loose. And it just gets more and more insane because one of the guys who's meant to get a password off him, only the password isn't a password. And you figure out, like, in the last third of the series that the password is actually a demonic possession essentially, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in that you've got imaginary friends are real, they exist, 
they can get high on cocaine, they can murder each other, <laughs> and they can murder other people, uh, real people. Um, and that's kind of a thing. Um, evil is evil. Very, very evil. All the evil is shown as evil. It is sickeningly, terrifyingly, horrifyingly evil throughout. Mm. Um, and it's actually even more evil than you think. It is so much more evil than you think. It's just horrifying. Um, and then, you know, this guy is basically a hard-drinking, hard-smoking asshole. Uh, and he's the... He's not a hero. He's the main character. He's the, yeah, I was gonna say, he's the protagonist. He's the protagonist. I am no way gonna call Nick Sachs so a, hero. a hero. Nick Sachs is not a hero. But he's what he. Some of the actions he takes end up being heroic, uh, although I'm not sure he always intends them that way. No. And I think that's what's great about it. But I think, I mean, he's in no way at any point likable. No, no, you do not like him. The only character in this that is actually remotely likable. The only character who is in this throughout, uh, and in it regularly throughout, who isn't really likable, is Happy the Horse. Who isn't real. Who isn't real. Who is uh, voiced by Patton Oswalt, and I adore it so much. It's, it's, it's magnificently done. Stunningly done. I, uh, making a CG cartoon unicorn work? Yeah. And you really do care about Happy. I, I mean, cared so much about Happy. When I thought Happy was going to die, I was devastated. Like, when he gets kidnapped by the evil, evil uh, imaginary friends, I was horrified. Genuinely yeah. horrified and worried and actually, Can we just unpack? And you said there's a lot to unpack. There's so much to unpack. Okay, so the, the secret... The, the, the Italian witch woman, the Strega, with the, the, the menstrual blood soup, and, like, the, the whole thing is just, like... I, I, oh, I, what the hell? I, you've got... You've got this... <laughs> The, the 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 main gangster, Blue, mm. he's the head of this sort of Stepford family. Yeah. With the, the the Stepford wife and the perfect son, and it's the perfect son who tortures the imaginary friends. Yeah, he's the most twisted little shit ever imagined. And so there's that. Yep. And then you've got the children's entertainer, Sunny Shine, who is the most twisted human being who well he is, dresses up in a giant latex I wonder, beetle I wonder this would probably play slightly differently in America because America hasn't had Jimmy Savile and Rolf Harris I think that's a really big thing as well because like for me like I was just sitting there going this is so close for, to yeah, reality yeah, so for me a but show like, about that came up when we were like obviously I watched this with my wife uh, and we just sat there and we were like god the thing is that is you know these people, people in these positions of power get away with this kind of thing for so long because they are in these positions of power and they yeah. ha they know so much about so many people and that is the kind of the story of Sonny Shine. He knows so much about so many people which is how he's able to get away with what he gets away with yeah. for so long. And that... That's very near the knuckle for a British very audience. Very near the knuckle for a British I audience. I don't know that America has quite the same history with that, but I... Horrifying. I, think, I mean, America has Cosby and, you know, that kind yeah. of... So, I mean... Cosby yeah. wasn't, as far as we know, Cosby. The kids. Yeah, as far as we know, Cosby wasn't a pedophile. Savile was kids, and Savile so it's was... so close to home. It's so, uh, yeah, I think that really, I, 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 obviously I get very passionate about things I watch, but I was pretty much ranting at that point. After that one episode, I was just like, this is just. But it and I does, went, yeah, it does, yeah. it does make. I mean, there is no moral ambiguity here. The oh, bad no. guys are very definitely bad. Very, very, need, very bad. And they need to die. Yes. That's... And they do. 
with frequency. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Nick Sachs. Um, but they also, I mean, something I found unbelievably uncomfortable. And, and, and Which moment? Because, like, I would say 98% of it I found unbelievably uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, anyone who watches this and isn't made, it's, it's not a comfortable watch. Anybody who watches this is going, yeah, this is cool. Again, it's not something I particularly want to meet. It's terrifying. Um, it was when, beautiful. It was when they were packing the kids... Into the plastic boxes. Into the boxes. Oh, my God, yeah. And it said, you the know... Whole, all the sections with Smoothie and the kids made my skin crawl. Oh. Yeah. And it was... Dre- and what I liked about that... Liked is really not the right word. Appreciated. What I appreciated about that... Huh. It worked on so many levels. I mean, there's the consumerism yeah. aspect of it. They are literally being packaged up as commodities. Yeah. And do you know what? I don't know whether he meant this or not, but there is something about the way we've commodified childhood yeah. that is satirised in that, I think. Yeah. But you also have... because. I mean, they don't use the word paedophile once. Never. But it's made very clear that he wants these it's packaged up for some well very, as very special gifts for Christmas morning. Yeah, which just... And again, I, I, because it's Christmas, which again, culturally, is a time of innocence and childhood. And, I, and capitalism. They could not have made it more horrific. Yeah. There was nothing they could have... And, I think the inference of what is occurring is actually more terrifying than if they had made it... Yes. If they just said it. Just letting letting the audience work out what's going to happen to these children is... And oddly, reminds me a little bit of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, God, don't... No, see, that... Yeah, Nebula. Back to Nebula again. The child catcher. It's a thing that messes with your head forever in the same way as as Nebula is going to mess with kids' heads forever. I think you're probably right. But, yeah, that's your cool version of the wheelers. One thing we can say, one thing we can say about Happy is that it's never going to mess with a child's head because no child should be watching Ooh, this. No, no, no. I'm not sure adults should be watching this. No, but I have to say, go back to um, you know, saying about having the 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 original the, the comic creator involved mm. in it. You know, visually, I said it's it's beautiful. I don't mean it's beautiful in a like a sunset is beautiful. I mean it is visually it's beautifully done, incredibly well done. Yeah. In the same way that American Horror Story is visually incredibly well done. I haven't watched it in years because I actually cannot can't bear it anymore. But visually, the filmmaking, the angles, the color choices, all of that stuff is phenomenal. It is a really stunningly well put together piece of work, um, and I just I really appreciate it from that standpoint. Yeah. It's, but you see, it's Grant, Grant Morrison as a comics writer is very used to thinking visually. Yeah. And I don't I don't know quite what his what his his method is, but I wouldn't be surprised if like a lot of comic writers he thumbnails stuff. Yeah. Which means I mean I, I know people who write for television are used to thinking visually, but it's not quite the same. No. Um and I, I think that does come through. Either that I, I agree. I think either that who, or whoever was doing the storyboarding was a fucking genius. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing, because so so often you get translations that are just wildly different, um, or they go, "Oh, this is a great idea as a comic, but let's make it as a TV show." And like, essentially, they do away with the what makes something work as a comic in terms of the way they frame things and the way they draw the eye to specific ideas, or the way they use color to make you think about something. 
but I don't feel like I feel like Happy's stuck to its guns with that, which I don't know because I've not read it. But you have, I assume, I'm saying the right thing yeah. because you're not shaking your head at me. The other way that I think people go is they pastiche it too much. Like they have like you know like old school Batman, Kaplow, Bam, um, hmm. you know that that. And I think this has absolutely struck that perfect balance of showing that yeah, this is graphically formed by human people. A stunning thing to see. It's, yeah. it's just brilliant, absolute brilliance. So many moments where the framing is just like, yeah, I could see that straight out of the comic. Yeah, it's amazing. And Happy looks exactly like he looks in the comic. I mean, exactly. That's so good. Oh, that's the best. Yeah, I love him. And in fact, actually, Nick Sachs is incredibly well, well done as well. Nick Sachs looks a lot like that in the comic. That's yeah, that's good. They, yeah, they, they've, well. they've cast him. You know, it's the same facial shape, same mannerisms. I mean, I presume that the guy they got playing Nick Sachs, whose name I can never remember, I presume he had studied the comic. I mean, it's only four issues. It's not exactly a long read. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, there's a lot more in the TV show than there is in the comic. Yeah, um, I kind of assumed that it had been padded quite some it's, But there's going to be a second series, is there not? I think so. It's going to be a I think so. great. I, it's a partnership that works. Why would you not do it? Yeah. Why would you not do it? Yeah. Um, I just hope they don't... I hope they don't make Nick... Sacks likable, and I hope they don't reconcile him with his wife, because that woman suffered enough. Oh, God bless her! She and really she has. does not. And deserve... she has seen things that she should never have had to see. She does not deserve Nick Sacks. No, no one Nobody deserves, deserves Nick Sacks. Nick Sacks. His former partner does not deserve Nick Sacks. No. And she, yeah, I liked her story arc. She kind of got redemption, which I thought was nice. Somebody gained some redemption in this whole shit show, um, which was really good. And I did. I liked. Yeah. But I mean. We got, you know, a kick-ass woman with a gun, which was nice. Yeah, but... It was... It's a lot, though. And, I mean, the other thing that... You know, you're talking about it, like, talking about commodification and stuff like that. The other thing that's really interesting is the way they've got the um, the mafia wives as, like, the real housewives TV show. Yes. Which is absolute genius. I really love like, that. the real mafia housewives. Um, and, like, that whole thing of, like, just putting your life out there in that way and, and, and being in that industry... That totally just blows... It blew my mind. And, yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of loved it. And yes, I did also love the, the Strager and the whole thing with the... Not the Strager. What's the word for witch? I forget. Anyway, the witch lady coming and kind of uh, bringing the sun back from the dead uh, type thing. And, and that carnage was just phenomenal as well. There's so much going on that's more than just the happy story. The yes. happy and Yeah, Nick because story. the story with um, the... I want to call them the Scaramucci brothers now. I feel like you're right, but <laughs> but I can't remember, and I can't. The whole that the whole story with Blue and the brother mm. that lived and yep. the demonic that's got Mikey. nothing, Mikey. That's got nothing to do yeah. with Happy's story. Absolutely nothing, except that Blue is in both. Blue stories. is in, Blue is involved in both. Yeah, Blue is the the orchest- he orchestrates the the kidnapping of all the children and and Blue also ordered the hit on the yeah. Scaramucci. I'm going to call them Scaramucci. Go with it. I think it's probably the name. It might be. It might not be. And also, you know, that that, that Nick obviously has worked for him and that Nick is, in theory, has this password that Blue wants. So, you know, he's he's kind of the, the kingpin of the situation, isn't he? Hmm. And so he's linked. He's the one that's linked everywhere rather than the protagonist. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. And you do get all these other other things occurring behind, uh, behind, the, not behind the scenes, but like around the central... Yeah, I mean, I just say there's a lot. There's a lot, and there's so that gives it legs for a second series, like so much because obviously at the end of it, you know, he's possessed. Blue is possessed by the thing, and whatever this is, Mikey is 
dead sitting on the other side of the class at the prison and you've just released a possessed demonic entity into a prison population so that's gonna go well like, mm. I think, like, yeah, that could be really interesting. And so many people are now dead. Yeah, and of course, Blue now has many reasons to hate Sax. Oh, so many. So he's presumably going to be coming for Sax. You would assume. And of course, uh, Sax's daughter has allowed her imaginary friend to fade, and he's gone to Sax. So that, because he's well, the person that needs him. But he's also, I love that. he's also someone, because, the, the idea of the imaginary friend is quite interesting because, I don't know about you, I had imaginary friends so when I was a kid. They were much nicer than my actual friends. But, um, Mine was the elf from an Enid Blyton book. That's very cool. Mine was a dinosaur. Oh, that's very cool. Corrin, it was <laughs> a dinosaur called Corrin. Oh. Um, you stop believing in them. I'm not sure I ever actually truly believe. No, I don't. I, I don't think anybody really, does. Really but you stop. You I'm stop just even. A bookie child. You stop even thinking about them. Yeah, true. As a kid, and that's natural and normal. If, as an adult, you're presented with a six-inch-high blue flying unicorn, and it is demonstrated to you that you are not high and you are not hallucinating, <laughs> but this thing actually exists, you're not going to stop believing. No, ever. So there's no reason for Happy to ever fade. No. Because, of course, he isn't going to fade, because he's... Sax, yeah, he Sax understands him to be real. The other thing is, we know that that's the case because of the bad Santa. Because his imaginary friend never faded. The evil Santa that steals yeah. the children in the first place, and then who tries to lobotomize lots of people. Oh, yet more to unpack. <laughs> and actually, and that, and that comes in... And he is murdered by imaginary friends because he still believes in them, so they are real. And that, that whole lobotomy thing comes oh in... Oh, God. The, that comes when you think you've seen the full extent... You think everything. everything's fine by that point. You think, yeah, it's got to be good now. It's not good. And then it's you never see, good. And then you see, and you see how he sees it. Yeah, when you see it through his and eyes. And it's Toyland, and it's wonderful. It's Christmas, and it's beautiful and perfect. And then you see what it really is. It's Nick Sachs in a bear trap, looking at lots of lobotomized people wandering around. And then it ties back to the beginning with the guy ordering loads of Chinese food. Yeah. And it suddenly all clicks into place. It just all drops into place brilliantly. It's so... Horrifyingly. It's so perfectly... It's like... It's like a Swiss watch in that the mechanism is beautiful and intricate, but it's like a Swiss watch made of uranium. (laughs) That's the best analogy. That is the best analogy. Yes. Because... Awful. It's awful and deadly. Yeah. And it will make your hair fall out. Absolutely. And it's <laughs> That is so it, right. It's and I honestly can't remember when I've enjoyed a TV show more. It is it is I have not enjoyed a TV show based on a comic more ever. I mean I think it's absolutely uh, brilliant. There are lots of TV shows that I really love, but this was so perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was phenomenal. And it's either produced or directed by the guys that made Crank. And yes. Crank, of course, if you've seen it, is insane. And if you've seen Crank and you like Crank, you will probably like Happy. Um, I feel like I, everyone that I've, I know that has seen Crank and liked it, I've recommended Happy to. Because I feel like they'll kind of get where it's coming from in that kind of, this is going to be really fucked up. Um, and it is definitely and a that. wild ride. 
Yeah. And, and it is in the same way as Crank is. It's an absolute wild ride. However, in Crank is chaotic in that I, it doesn't feel like it has, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere specific the entire time. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you say, this is a uranium Swiss watch. It's definitely, it knows it's going somewhere the whole way. It's just, it takes you in so many directions before you get to where you're and you going. Can't, you can't predict it. You can't see the map. Absolutely not. You can only see the map looking backwards. Yeah. And then it makes sense. Yeah, you look back on what you've seen, and you can see how everything fits. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. But looking forwards, you can't predict anything. No, not at all. And you get these little glimpses into the past of the characters, like the past of the, the evil Santa guy, past of Sax. Evil, evil Santa guy is such a tragic figure. Incredibly. Absolutely incredible. And when he's lobotomizing people dies, in order to not be his father who was but when evil. He, he dies at the end and his imaginary friend kind of nuzzles up to oh, his sock puppet yeah it's and you know and for me the saddest moment then was I was like oh now his imaginary friend's gonna die because no one believes in him anymore and I just thought that was really sad I was like yeah I'm glad he's dead because I've been waiting for him to be dead since episode one he needed to be dead he needed to be dead he needed to be dead in episode one um, but you know yeah seeing that that there was just like oh wow god that's heartbreaking yeah yeah, this is what happens when you're oh. messed up. Oh, man. I, it's, it, it's a phenomenal thing. Watch it. I, That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, I, I I guess we have to trust that they won't mess it up season two. I really hope they don't. Because, it, yeah, like you say, if they make sex. This is so good, in quotes, or heroic, then it loses all of its I, meaning. I guess if Grant Morrison is still on board... I guess it'll be okay because if yeah. it's still his vision, his it's his character, dark and twisted and fucked up vision, so dark. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that dark on television, honestly. No, and, and it is relentless. I've watched some shit, but that that is just and it's relentless. Oh. It's relentlessly. And I love dark. the fact that they released it in America to coincide with Christmas. So, like, this was a thing that they put on TV leading up to Christmas on Sci-Fi in the States, and I'm just like. Wow. Yeah, we didn't have it here until, like, recently in an, on Netflix. So, um, yeah. I think I will be watching it again. I will not be watching it at Christmas. No, neither will I. It's, it's definitely... It, it, it's, it's sort of like Die Hard. And just because it's set at Christmas doesn't make it a Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm one of the heretics that doesn't regard Die Hard as a Christmas movie. It's an essential part of my Christmas, but that's not the same thing. It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie. Die Hard is a movie set at Christmas. Okay. There are many people who disagree with you. But yeah. I, I... They're allowed to be wrong. Them. Yeah, they're allowed to be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> you know the truth. Yeah. Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Oh, Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Yeah. That's the one that I always... Yeah. That's the one that I My mum hates Gremlins. There is an awful lot wrong with Gremlins. Um, but it's still an essential part of my childhood. <laughs> Terrifyingly. Yeah. But yeah, no. Happy's amazing, and I look forward to season two. That's where I'm at with yeah. Happy. Yeah, no, I, 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 we, yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm anticipating it almost as much as I'm anticipating Avengers 4. Yeah. Just to call it back. Just to call back to the beginning. To, to what is last week's podcast. <laughs> we finally arrived at, right. If I could uh, possibly just throw in a couple of random recommendations for other nerdy things. You know, why, 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 would we not, why would we not do that? If uh, you haven't watched the amazing German science fiction series Dark on Netflix, you should do that. 
the new series isn't coming out until 2019. Is it in German? It's in German, but it is phenomenal and possibly the greatest time travel thing I have ever seen no, on television. No disrespect to German listeners, but I hate the sound of the German language. Oh, I love it. So not, gonna... not because there's anything wrong with the German language, but because I can't speak it. And I spent five years trying to learn German. Okay. And, uh... In which case, may I recommend to you something in Danish? <laughs> uh, rain, or The Rain, which one it's called, is new on Netflix. And again, it's kind of genius. My favorite things about the Danish language are that help is help, um, which makes it very easy to know when they're calling for help. Um, thanks is tak, uh, so that also helps. And uh, kom nu means come now, which also, again, these are the things I've picked up from watching Rain, which I watched in a week, and it is amazing. Again, another really great, terrible, terrible, dreadful CGI in the style of, you know, cheap sci-fi shows everywhere, but really good story. Um so that's another fun I can, sci-fi I can cope with terrible sci-fi. The story's good. The story's good. So that's one uh, worth a go. Um, it's about a virus in the rain that kills lots of people. Um, and two kids that are stuck in a bunker for five years, and then they come out of the bunker, and what happens to them when they realise the world's gone to shit. It's kind of brilliant, um, and I do like it. Uh, that's good. And a non-sci-fi, non-nerdy, but it's brilliant anyway. Um, Shit's Creek, if you haven't watched it. I have never watched Shit's Creek, but it it's... Is Magnificent. It's been on my list for quite a long time. Honestly, if you're looking for something, if you like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and you like uh, Parks and Rec, um, they, this is nothing like them. However, it has it's, it feels like it's of a, a family with them because all the characters in those things generally are trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. All the characters in this are not trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. They're terrible people. But you end up loving them and they end up becoming better people. So it's totally worth watching. And it's really nice watching incredibly rich people who have lost everything struggle to live in a small town. It's fun. Um, it's really great Bit watching The to Life. Really great watching The Majestic Life. And they, you end up just, yeah, it's brilliant. And there are four seasons of that on Netflix. I, I, I 20 will, minutes an episode, really easy to get through. I will be. Uh, it, it can fill my um, The Good Place gap. Yes, for a bit. It's perfect to fill that gap. Um, so while we're yeah, while we're while we're on, recommend it. First of all, I would just like from the bottom of my heart to thank NBC in America. Oh, thank you, NBC, for saving Brooklyn thank Nine Nine. Thank you so much. Um, I was devastated. And actually, do you know what? This brings me back to something that you had as your highlight of 2017, which is the positive power of fandom. Yes. Brooklyn Nine Nine fans discovered that their show was being cancelled, and. Twitter storm, as and the phrase. The, the, the cry of love and anguish was real and heard. Yeah. And so NBC had an interest in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They were producing it mm. for Fox. And they just went, oh, people love it. Oh, well, well, let's keep doing it then. Yeah. I think one of the real problems is the way that they, the metrics by which they measure um, popularity of a TV show in terms of, mm-hmm. from what I have learned on the internet in the past week in the fallout of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, based on the idea of like who's watching when it's currently on and who watches it within 72 hours on their DVR, I believe these are the statistics that have been flung at me by the internet. So that really doesn't take into account an international audience that gets it a year later, which sucks for us because we don't get anything forever over here, which means that by mm. the time it comes to England, usually... I'm still on season three. Either I'm... St- yeah, I'm on season three or I have only just started watching it and by that point, it's been cancelled. And it, it's just... It's hugely depressing that we don't get stuff until it's on Netflix. And a huge part of your fan base for a show could be sitting over here in Europe just waiting. Yeah. Um, and then lose something that they love. 
and that's the case with Nine Nine. Like you know, I've got all I've watched all the seasons that are on Netflix. That's as far as I've got. Because that's as far as we can go. That's as far as we can go. Legally. Yeah, which legally, which is a, a real. And of name. course, this podcast does not advocate piracy. No, it does not. Well, um, it, do, it doesn't when Ian's not here. But anyway, <laughs> it does not. But yeah, so I think that metric it doesn't actually represent the number of people that love a show or enjoy a show or watch a show. Um, and I think that's a huge shame. So it's great when fans can like have this public outpouring of love. And it was, it was just this, why are you doing this? We love this show so much. And the characters are so lovable and so wonderful. And they're a fabulous, mixed, diverse, brilliant cast of characters who are all and unself, unselfconsciously. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you there's don't, no in joke. There's no wink and a nod about it. They're well, just and you great. don't you don't get the feeling that anyone's there to tick a box. No, they're you just know, there. whether they're These are the people. You know, you you you've got characters of color. You've got characters. You've got a bisexual character. You've got, got a gay queer characters character. of color, which is great. Um, so that makes me happy. Well, and you know, the, the, the the cat, the, the authority figure, yeah, is incredibly competent. Incredibly intelligent, yeah. black and gay. Yes, that's awesome. He's and it's not a thing. No, or at least it's no more of a thing than it would be in real life. No, you know he has a rainbow flag on his desk, um, and so many binders. So, so many binders. I love it. It's just um, the best. It, honestly, I'm so happy when when I found out I've been picked up again. I was I I was delighted. I really really was. It, it warmed my heart that a, fans could do it. Such a wonderful thing. Now, can we please have season four on Netflix? I <laughs> need to know what's happening. With um, with Jake and oh god, I've forgotten her name. Amy. No. Santiago. Santiago. No, not Santiago. No. Um, Torres. No. They went to jail. Oh, season four is on Netflix. What's that season four? Yeah, that was the end of season four. So season five, aren't we? Yeah, which is just is still on still oh, on the right, air okay. in the states. So because that's still on the air in the states, we are waiting. We're a year away. We are a year away. I need to know what happens. It's I need to know what happens. Yeah, um, it is. It's terrible. However, yeah, again, positive power fandom. The Sensate final episode is coming in the next couple of weeks. I think I must get around to watching Sensate. Again, I watched the, I watched the first episode and then never got any further. Beautifully, brilliantly diverse, wonderful, international. It has German in it. You will cope. Um, <laughs> You will go. There is also uh, Spanish in it. And I, um, I read, I, I read the first two issues of Barrier today, uh, which is a comic published by Image, um, set in Texas, or starts in Texas. Um, there's an issue with illegal immigration, people coming in over the border, and stuff. Half of it is in Spanish, and it's properly in Spanish. It's not translated anywhere. They don't do a funny font and put a little asterisk that says translated from the Spanish. When the characters speak Spanish, they just speak Spanish. Yeah. And do you know what? They speak a word of Spanish. I coped. Yeah. Because it's a comic and you can see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You and, generally do. And I know... I know three words of Spanish. Um, Is one of them beer? No. Oh, okay. No, I know... It's one of the three words of Spanish I know. I know... I know basta, which means enough. Yeah, and stop. Yeah, same in Italian. Um, I know hola, which is hello, which means hello, and I know puta, which means which whore. Means whore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it seems odd to me that these are the words I know. Uh, but basta I know, is beer. I know them. Puta. I know them from having read books, not from having needed to use any of them. I would just like to be clear. 
yeah. A lot of my uh, my language, my European languages, uh, are either swear words or how to order drinks, um, or the word in that language for prostitute. Weirdly, um, and that's I think more down to video games than anything else. It's <laughs> not neat. <laughs> The time I accidentally found myself in the Berlin Red Light District, notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it, 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 yeah. The, the thing with Sensei, Sensei is that, yeah, everything is subtitled and you will go. Um, and the German is not that much. It's the same amount as there is of every other language yeah. in Venice. But yeah, it's, it's phenomenal, and that's coming, so we're getting the end of that. Yeah, so Sensei. I'm pleased about the positive power fandom. Sensei. So, yeah, so other recommendations. Um, a non geek, non nerd one. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before or not. I don't think I... am pretty sure I haven't mentioned it on the podcast. Um, and I always get the name wrong. It's either Grace and Frankie or Frankie and Grace. Grace and Frankie's amazing and I love it. And I have seen all um, of it. And Lily Tomlin and... Lily Tomlin. I have adored Lily Tomlin yeah. since I saw her in All of Me with Steve Martin. Uh, it would have been in the late 80s. It was on quite late on BBC Two one night. Might have been Channel 4. That's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... Nine to five, with Dolly Parton. Yeah, nine to five is where I am. I've adored Lily Tomlin ever since, and she's woefully underused. Yeah, should have been a much bigger star than she is. Absolutely, absolutely. And Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is phenomenal, and she is so funny. She is so and Martin Sheen. Funny. Yes. Uh, So, so for listeners who do not know Grace and Frankie. (laughs) Um, the premise basically is you've got two old couples. I mean, they're in their seventies. I think eighties. I think are they in their seventies or eighties? Well, close to their eighties. Well, they haven't. The two blokes haven't retired. Okay. So they may, you know, they're, they're lawyers. So then they've worked into their seventies. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're old. They are old. Uh, and they've known each other forever. They've been. They're partners in a law firm. And in episode one, the two wives discover that the two husbands have been having an affair with each other. For ever, ever, Forever. and the two husbands announce that they are leaving their wives to set up home together, um, and it's basically how the families cope. Yeah, with and it that. Throws, it throws the wives together. It, it throws they the wives living together because the wives because one couple was kind of hippie-ish and the other is very cool. Kind of hippie-ish, wildly hippie-ish, um, and so the wives are thrown together. And have to cope with each other's idiosyncrasies and weirdnesses. Um, Lily Tomlin is Lily Tomlin is just amazing. She's phenomenal, and, and Jane Fonda is Jane phenomenal. Fon- Jane Fonda does uptight so beautifully. Yes, and dealing with the complete wild wackiness of uh, of, of uh, Frankie Lily Tomlin's yeah. character it, with that, it, it just and, is the most beautiful partnership. And it's it's all of the relationships are so beautifully done. Yeah. The, the, the very clear affection between Martin Sheen and the guy that plays the other guy. Who... can't remember his name. Who, I know him on from, Law and Order. I know him from so many things. Yeah. Um, you know, he, plays, he plays a really sweet gay hippie man in a way that I did not expect, having their, seen him in Law and Order. Their obvious affection for each other, their obvious love for each other is genuinely touching. Tender. Even when Martin Sheen is being an arse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But equally, they're both kind of devastated to have hurt their wives in the way that they have. Yeah. And there's a, a wonderful sequence where Martin Sheen has a party at his house and he realises that he really, really needs Grace. Yeah. Because she can do this and his new partner really can't. 
Yeah, and when he goes to the funeral, and Grace would know how to behave at a funeral, yes. and and Sol does. Actually, not. I think that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, Grace. Sol does not know how to behave at a funeral, and and obviously Grace goes with Frankie to the funeral, and that the whole chain of events with the two yeah. couples running into each other at a funeral it's of a, so... a mutual friend is just it's... it's heartbreaking and beautiful and tender. It... It's so yeah. tender. It... It's brilliant. And it... And it, funny, hilarious. It would, funny. and it would be very easy. And had this show been made twenty years ago, oh my god, I dread to think the homosexuality would have been the joke. And it's not. And it isn't in any way. And there's not, there's no malevolence. No, not in, at all. In any of it. No. Nobody wants to hurt anybody else. They're just trying to deal with this thing Absolutely. that's happening. Yeah. And it's it's just magnificently done. I love it to pieces. So that's that. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I love it. And I, I think, you know, the the great thing about it is that it's not just about the two couples, it's about the families. And so you get mm. the hippie sons, the two adopted boys, um, yeah. and how their relationships span out from there. And then the two daughters of the uptight family, who are also both kind of uptight, but not, because the younger daughter is... Um, you know, the, the older daughter, I can't remember which way around it is, the older daughter has taken over the company, Jane Fonda's yeah. company, uh, Grace's company, and... Um, but she is just so close to Frankie, and they smoke pot together and like giggle and have a nice time. It's it's just this whole thing of a found family of what family is and what family becomes it, if you can get over your differences and if you can work through of, it. It's just beautiful. It sort of reminded me in its dynamic of Armistead Mopin, Tales of the City. Um, God, you're just ten years too King Young. Aren't Sorry. You? Um, I recommend Armistead Mopin to you. Okay. Um, he isn't dead yet, I don't think. Um, but his Tales of the City is set in the gay community in San Francisco in the 70s and 80s. I feel like I should probably have... Um, well, not wishing, not wishing to stereotype, perhaps. But... huge part of the fact that, you know, my entire master's degree is about being gay, and I've totally failed yes, to notice this. Not wishing it's American, to... though. It is American. Um, <laughs> Everything I've looked at is English. It's, um, I haven't read the books. I've been meaning to read the books for about 20 years. In fact, God, longer than that, 25. Uh, but in the 90s, they made a TV show out of it. It was on Channel 4. I have a feeling that I might have actually seen this. And there was a... Saying this. There was a... One of the one of the concepts that's explored in Tales of the City, because obviously everyone in Tales of the City is an outcast, mm. because it's a time when you, you were okay if you were going to San Francisco, but you weren't okay if you were going anywhere else. Anywhere else. Mm. So mm. everyone was from somewhere else. They'd gone yeah. to San Francisco see, see, seeking sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was the idea of your logical family as opposed to your biological yeah, family. Yeah. And honestly, I've believed in logical family ever since. That's nice to hear. We, um, we, 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 I'm saying this, sorry, queer community, so, that are you speaking agree for, with me. Are you speaking I'm for all of the gays now? I'm not speaking for all of the gays, no. But a lot of, uh, a lot of us talk about found family and chosen family because you, you do find your family often if your family does not accept you. If your biological family doesn't accept you, you tend to find your family. You see, I, and I think that's, I, you know, that's I mean, a huge thing. And I've got people in my life who will always be my family who are not my I'm not biologically raised to in any way, shape or form. And and I think that's important. And likewise, actually. And yeah, yeah. I think I think I mean I I'm not gay. I haven't had that experience. Oh look a straight man finding finding he has to tell you that he's not gay. Um 
Well, you were talking about <laughs> Momoa earlier, and I mean... Which I, which I think it's relevant, actually, in this yeah. context. Um, so I don't have that experience. Yeah. You know, I, my family... You are was, so lucky. My family would not <laughs> have... Sorry. Had I been gay, my family yeah. would not have disowned me, I don't think. Um, but I never had to find out. So, no. so I've not had that experience. But I don't come from a close family. Um, I once went for five years or more without speaking to my mother, not because we'd fallen out, because we just didn't happen to have a conversation. Um, and wow. I have a tendency to sort of adopt people. Yeah. Or to get myself adopted, depending which way you want to look at it. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I I care every bit as much about some of my friends as I do about my fa- my my biological family. family. Yeah. I don't particularly feel the strength of that blood relationship at all. Um, so yeah, anyway. I, oh, basic Frankie, basic Frankie. Yeah, that's, yeah. Where, that's where this came from. Yeah, totally. How, how did we get to how did we get this? this? Deep conversation. This is a seriously weird digression uh, for a podcast about geekery. Yeah, but no, Grace and Frank is phenomenal, and there are, I think, three, four seasons, four seasons, maybe? There's quite a lot of it, yeah. Now, I think, is it three, on Netflix, and it's definitely worth watching. I love it. It's brilliant. And for those of you that enjoyed Empire Records, Coyote is a familiar face. Uh, if we're calling back to the joy that is Empire Records. Do you know, I've only seen Empire Records once. But it's so much like heavy vinyl, and that's why I, I love heavy vinyl. I so want to read it. a comic. So want to watch it again. And everybody should read... Heavy vinyl. Heavy vinyl. Everyone should. Not not Hi-Fi Fight Club. No, heavy vinyl. And if you have... Uh, it's out in trade now. I believe. It is I out in trade. I saw a downstairs, and I couldn't reach it because you care about my wallet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, Yeah, I put it on the second shelf up. <laughs> yeah. You see, this is it. Yeah. Um, no, the... Yeah, it, it, if you like... Um, Empire Records, definitely. Heavy, heavy Vinyl is an amazing comic. You should rush down to Destination Venus and buy it. And I, I have just, just one more recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I want everyone now, immediately they finish listening to this podcast. In fact, we're nearly done. Just go and do it now. Go to Amazon, if you're in the UK. I'm sorry, uh, I just fell off my chair because this man I, just recommended a yeah, website he despises. Yeah. Go, to, go to Amazon. I'm sorry to ask you to do this, but there's no other way. And... Whether you have Prime or not, if you have Prime, watch it. If you don't have Prime, buy it and watch it. Watch Lucifer. Watch all of Lucifer. It's also been cancelled, hasn't it? it? Because it's been cancelled and I need someone to save it. Okay, I'm going to spray it down. Because I need Tom Ellis to keep playing that part. Have you you watched it? It's been on my watch list. Right. The thing about Lucifer... Forever. Um, If you've ever read the Lucifer comic, which spun out of Sandman... Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, now you've said that. At the end, at the end of, of Season Mists, which is kind of the middle story arc, almost the middle story arc of Sandman, Lucifer gives up the keys to hell, has his faithful demon Mazakine cut off his wings, and he leaves hell. Lucifer the comic picks up at that point, um, and Lucifer goes to L.A., because if you're looking for hell on Earth... Um, Angel did it. And he opens a piano bar. Of course he does. And Lucifer, the comic, continues in a very similar tone to Sandman. Lucifer, the TV show, starts with Lucifer having had his wings cut off, living above the shop in a piano bar in L.A. So that bit's the same. And then it ignores pretty much everything else from the comic. 
and turns it into a bog-standard police procedural. So, this isn't a spoiler, because it's like the first five minutes of the first episode. Lucifer is meeting on the pavement an old friend, who is now a very successful actress. And we learn he's the devil because she asks him if she sold him her soul and is is she therefore damned because she can't understand how she's been so successful if he hasn't done a crossroads kind of deal. And he kind of says, no, you're just good. (laughs) And then there's a drive-by shooting in which she is killed. He obviously is unharmed because he's Satan. And as a result of that, the police, the, the, the pretty sassy, kick-ass female police detective who is sent to investigate the murder doesn't initially believe he's not involved because how come you're fine? Yeah. Um, but Lucifer really wants to know who killed his friend because he's just devastated that his friend's dead. And so he uses his power to get himself made a consultant to the LAPD. Of course. And he's partnered up with Detective Decker because he uses his power as Lucifer to make the captain of police do that. Of course. And from that point on, it's mostly a villain of the week police procedural. And it really shouldn't work because it's not even a good villain of the week police procedural. I'm not making any great claims for this being a great police show. It isn't. What makes it work is the chemistry between Mazakine and Lucifer. Mazakine is a demon. She's Hell's finest torturer. She's Lucifer's personal bodyguard. And so she's bound to him. So when he left Hell, she had to. She hates it on Earth. She wants to go back to Hell. She liked hell. She got to torture people. Um, Sounds like a peach. And there's this wonderful chemistry between him and her. There's wonderful chemistry between Lucifer and Decker. There is the inevitable. Will they? Won't they? Of course. Will they? Will they? As there Won't is in every police um, with a male-female partnership. Decker has a child and an ex-husband who is also a detective, who is instantly christened by Lucifer, Detective Douche. Of course. Um... But what mostly makes it work is Tom Ellis as Lucifer, who, on a dime, rotates from being camper than a row of pink tents. I mean, over-the-top, arm-waving... Flamboyance. Flamboyance and fabulousness, um, to utterly terrifying. Wow. Utterly terrifying. You can... There are moments when you believe he is the Lord of Hell. And the next minute, he's singing in the piano bar. Oh, wow. Like an angel. And it's, it's just wonderful. And there's a bit of meditation on responsibility. He has a brother, a Minadil, who has been sent to make him go back to hell um, by their father, who is pissed. There, there's a bit of a meditation on Lucifer's daddy issues and how, how his father is not a just god. Because if he was, he wouldn't. Have, Lucifer wouldn't have been cast out. Of course, yes. Um, at the end of season, I feel like that—that that is absolutely necessary in everything. Any well, any Satan-based, but it's just thing is, is gone out there. It? It's it's hilariously funny. 
in points. It's just tacky enough to be kitsch and fun. And as I say, the performances in it, Lucifer goes to a shrink. <laughs> and it, it's just, it's just sublime. It will definitely give that a go. As I say, it's one of those things, it absolutely shouldn't work. On paper, it's terrible. It, it does sound very not uh, good. But at the same time, I've seen so many people that I know, and, and you now, supporting it and saying that it's brilliant. And if it ends, if it ends at season three, right, well, first of all, I'm sorry, but I need to know what happens next. Um, I feel like we should all fight for that, that sensei ending for everything now. Um, like, if they, if they end something on a cliffhanger, we have to have that final episode. It's, I mean, it doesn't have the same love that Brooklyn Nine-Nine does. It doesn't deserve the same love that Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> does. Very little does, um, But I, I, I would like you to save it, dear listeners. So... Please go and give it some ratings so that Amazon feels it's worth putting some money in there. Because it's great. Now you said it's Tom Ellis, I recognise him. Because before I was going, I sure I know that actor from somewhere. And you now, see? Yeah, now I'm like, oh, okay, now I know who he is. He's the bartender from Miranda. How is he this good? I have never watched Miranda because I watched half an episode and, and felt my brain turning. He's Miranda out. Hart's love interest in Miranda. And I don't understand how he's this good. I just don't. Yeah. Because he is truly amazing. I mean, the only good thing, as far as I'm concerned, that can possibly come out of Lucifer being cancelled is that Tom Ellis is now free to become a major movie star. Because he really, really is good. He's that good. He's that good. Wow. Because you should... You know the, the hand, um, hand solos, God's sake. <laughs> Harrison Ford's famous line um, on, the, on the set of the original Star Wars... Uh, Jesus Christ, George, you can write this shit, but I sure as hell can't say it. Right. Nobody should be able to deliver the scripts that Tom Ellis has to deliver in Lucifer. They really are awful. Oh, really? Um, I kind of, I'm looking forward to this now, because, you know, kitschy, crappy tackiness is always fun, especially when paired with procedural crime and demons. Like, I don't get... Yeah. yeah. How could they possibly have cancelled it? And they... And yeah, they frequently end it on a song. Because he, knowing that, I really want to see he's, it. He's in a, really no, he's in a piano bar. And it's fairly obvious it's not Tom Ellis playing the piano, but it is Tom Ellis singing. <laughs> it properly is Tom Ellis singing. And he's got a set of pipes on him, that boy. It's, it's, it's so good. I cannot recommend it hardly enough. Okay. I, I mean, switch your brain off. Yeah, junk food. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't go in ex- don't go in Don't go in expecting anything cerebral as the source material. Okay. Which, yeah, I have not read. Oh, it's, but it's, it's it's truly 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 great. I will give. I will definitely give that to you. For sure. It's been yeah. It's been on my watch list for ages, along with various other things. But I will get there now because I finished Happy, which ran out and watch it. <laughs> I have a gap in my schedule. Yeah. Having finished Happy in Danish sci-fi. Well, I think you should fill it with with Lucifer. Lucifer. It's 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 truly great. Um, that. And I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast either. It's on Amazon again. When you do. Don't ever buy books from them, please. That's all I'm saying. But there is, they're a legitimate streaming service and yes. they have the stuff. Yes. Two of the shows on Amazon that are really worth watching. Um, Hand of God, starring Ron Perlman. Oh, I love it. Uh, as a horribly corrupt uh, American high court judge. Yes. 
Uh, and in the opening sequence of the first episode, he is standing naked in a fountain, speaking in tongues, having been missing for a week. Um, and during that time has clearly had a revelatory religious experience. And now he wants to change his ways and do better. But there are some complicating factors. What? His son is in a coma, having tried to kill himself, having not been able to cope with the rape of his wife, who is now having to deal with the fact that she's a rape survivor and her husband's in a coma. Lord. Uh, he's been having an affair for decades and now he now wants to break that off because of course it's adultery and sinful and, and while he was missing he donated $25,000 to an extraordinarily sketchy church where he where the, you know the pastor has a long record for fraud of course and, but he believes utterly in this guy and so there's there's all of that going on and it's it's Ron Perlman is just magnificent in it. He is generally. He's he's astounding in it, uh, and it's getting late, so I'll make the ne- the last one really short. Okay. But again, you you have to watch this yeah. because it's great. Um, it's got the worst title of any show ever. It's called Patriot. Aha! Uh-huh. I have seen it and gone ew. And <laughs> I don't call it that. I discovered this show because I listened to a podcast uh, called The TV Talk Machine, which is the guy who runs the... Jason Snell, the guy who runs the Incomparable Network, home to such fine podcasts as I'm just maligned, which I was on once, and the um, chief critic of The Hollywood Reporter. And they discuss this week's TV. And they've been going on about a show for ages, which, as I say, is called Patriot, and they said that's a terrible name for it. It ought to be called Sad Spies. (laughs) And the premise of the show that I will from now refer to as Sad Spies, in spite of the fact that the people who make it insist on calling it Patriot, <laughs> um, you've got a guy who works for the CIA. He is, amongst other things, a hitman for the CIA. Uh, he's the guy they send in to deal with shit that needs doing. The guy's dad is also his boss in the CIA. Hard life. The guy's brother is a political aide in on Capitol Hill and also works for the CIA. Okay. The guy, happily married, got a kid, got a life outside of the CIA, doesn't really like being a hitman, doesn't really like being a spy, but he's really, really good at it. So he can't get out of it, particularly because his dad needs him. Right. His dad's a bit worried about him, though, because, and this is kind of like a, a major factor in the whole thing, what this guy really wants to be is a folk musician. <laughs> and, I did not see that coming. And there are, lots of, there, are lots of, there are lots of sequences where him and his dad sit down with their guitars and play folk music in the show. This happens a lot. What happens more is this guy sits down on his own and sings folk songs about the mission he's just done. So there's a sequence in a, there's a sequence in a, it's set in a square in, I think, Amsterdam, after he's just killed somebody. And he's sitting with his guitar on a park bench going, had to kill the guy, didn't wanna, had to kill the guy, 
shot him in the head. And then he gets moved on for busking by the police. Uh, and there's a sequence where he goes to an open mic and starts singing about the mission he's currently on. And his brother has to go in and get him out. Oh, my God. And it's so deadpan and so matter-of-fact. Uh, and again, it's not really a spoiler because it's, it's in the first bit. But he has to get a job at an oil company because he needs a credible way of getting into Iran. And this oil company is the only company that does business with Iran. And so he has to get, get a job with this oil company and then get moved to the Swiss office so that he can meet contact from the Iranian, this Iranian spy thing. And there are two people up for the job and he messes up his interview. So he's, he's standing like like walking out of the building with the other guy who was there for the interview. And he's saying, oh, I'm really psyched about this. I'm going to do really well. And they get to a, the, the curb and they're about to cross the road. And the guy goes, so you think you've got the job then? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm sure I have. And he goes, that's a damn shame. And he just pushes in front of a bus. And it's, it's just, you know, this guy is relentless. He will, he's, he's in many ways a terminator. He will do what needs to be done to get the job done, however unpleasant, unethical and or illegal it is. And then he'll sing a song about and it. And then he'll sing a song about it. And it's, it's just brilliant. Okay, sad spies. Yeah, no, yeah um, uh, when you look it up, you're going to have to look for a show called Patriot. Patriot. But just remember, it's called Sad Spies. Yeah, Patriot is the reason I have not watched it. Yeah, I wouldn't have watched oh, it. Yeah, if, watched if I hadn't heard the reviews on the TV Talk okay. Machine, I would not have watched it. But it is truly great. That's good to know. Uh, one last one, which is something that is a vague uh, reference. Uh, Runaways is currently on Sci-Fi. We are only three, I think, four episodes in as of last week. Catch it up if you can. Again, support your lovely, lovely shows. I sadly can't get sci-fi. No, but I, for those of you that can get sci-fi... But if you can, I, I, I've heard nothing but good it, things about Runaways, it. It's actually. It's great. It is really good. It's not exactly the same as the comic, but it is damn close. The characterization is phenomenal, and you can buy the collected comics from lovely places such as Destination Movie. You can indeed. I, I, in fact, have several copies of Volume 2 of the complete Runaways <laughs> because now. I ordered it by accident. I also have a copy. Um, yeah. I really must get volume one in because it makes no sense to have volume two and not volume one. Uh, I have volume one. It, it arrived. But yeah, no, it, it's, it's brilliant and the characterizers are just phenomenal and it's lovely and bright and beautiful and a glorious Marvel thing and they have a pet dinosaur. Who wouldn't want to watch that? I'm in. So yeah. You had me a pet dinosaur? Yeah, after it. You had me a pet dinosaur. And yeah, I haven't seen it. I can't, have, I can't watch sci-fi. Uh, I'm hoping it comes to Netflix. Mm. That's where sci-fi stuff seems to end up. Yeah, Winona Earp is on Netflix, um, so I'm hoping... Only season one, though. I'm hoping season two comes up, too. And that, again, is is phenomenal, so... So, yeah. Um, Comic-based. It's it's 20 past nine. I think we'd probably better leave it there. Bearing in mind, technically, we only have the room till nine o'clock. And now I'm going to drink the rest of my Coke float and make noise, because it was going to be disgusting. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Geeks at the Gate podcast. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geeks at the gate. Or contact us on Twitter at geeks at the gates. Or contact us by email on mail4geeksatthegates at gmail.com 
that is the number four, not the word. Geeks at the Gates is a production of Venus Rising Media and is proudly made in Yorkshire.